Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Now it's time to take a sports break, a look at sports history on a daily basis. Hello, my friends of sports history. This is Darren Hayes of the Sports History Dispatch Podcast. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your place for all things great in sports history. And welcome to a May 8th edition of the podcast where we're going to talk about some great events that happen on this day. But first, let's hear a tale of a story about baseball. It's a story about a man named William who grew up in the Northeast on a large farm that he and his family had owned for generations. The hard agricultural life provided him with strength and agility growing up. And this and natural athleticism made William a triple threat halfback star on the football team and a captain and leading scorer of the high school basketball team in his junior and senior years. Even with these accomplishments, his time spent on a baseball diamond was his favorite passion. His head was filled with thoughts of one day playing the game professionally in the major leagues. As good of an athlete as he was, he was not remembered as a particularly outstanding baseball player, an average fielder, but not a power hitter, but steady and consistent. William did just enough of the little things, almost on demand, and when his team really needed a critical hit, a run to stay in the game, or anything else fielding um, a big play. Now, it became almost expected that William would come through when all the teams he played on needed him. After a lot of hard work, he finally did get paid to play baseball. He first made it with the Atlanta Crackers of a minor league system of the Southern League, and just as he climbed and became renowned, World War II broke out, and William joined the Navy. That terrible, terrible war on so many fronts, so many young lives were lost and were maimed in the horrors of battle. Also, the influx of baseball players exploded after so many soldiers and sailors were trained and gained experience at playing ball while in the service on base. The dream of making the big leagues may have died for this ordinary player named William, but alas, he was able to return to the Crackers in the post-war times and had some more success. His timeliness of clutch hits and plays made William and some of those he played with believe he might have the it factor. It was there, at this point, where an American League team in Beantown paid the highest price ever for the contract of a Southern minor leaguer when they negotiated a tag of $75,000 that they paid to the Cracker for the rights of William to become a member of the Boston Red Sox. His dream of getting paid to play ball in a good fashion came to fruition through his hard work and consistent play. His eventual Major League Baseball manager was Hall of Famer Eddie Collins, the Red Sox skipper. Collins was a perfectionist who looked down upon and even criticized most of his players. But if he liked you and you worked hard and you played well, he really liked you. Manager Collins looked at William and was reminded of his former teammate Jimmy Dykes, who Collins referred to as, quote, the best thing until this kid came along referring to William, and he was right about Williams. Manager Collins could see that William had the right stuff to be a pretty special ball player. 
Right now, at this point in the story, we're rounding third. We're heading for home. So we flash forward a little bit, and we take to a game played on May 8th, 1953. The Yankees of New York invade Fenway, and the Beantown crowd is uneasy. The Boston Red Sox and their fans were stewing over 13 straight losses to their bitter rivals from New York, and that stretched back to August in the 1952 season. New York moved the scoreboard first in the top of the second on a bit of a fluke play. Red Sox pitcher Hal Brown served his only walk of the day to the pinstripe legend Mickey Mantle to hand the Yankees their only run. It happened when there was a strange bounce off the bat of Gil McDougald that made the run possible. Now following that base on balls to Mantle, Hank Bauer popped out. McDougald then slapped a roller down towards George Kell at third base but the ball took an unexpected hop, it popped up, and it hit Kell right in the face. Now, before he could recover, Mantle was on second, and McDougal was already safe at first. Billy Martin was the next batter up, and he lined a single down the right field line to bring in Mickey Mantle. The crowd became uneasy. They felt a little more comfortable, though, when in the bottom half of the second stanza, Dick Gernert hammered a solo shot over the green monster to tie the score at one. Well, the game carried on that way all the way into extra innings. And in the bottom of the 11th, it was time for our man William, better known as second baseman, you guessed it, Billy Goodman, to once again be Johnny on the spot. Or maybe Billy on the spot is more appropriate. Goodman's walk-off home run off the Yankees starting pitcher Johnny Sane broke the tie and the New York vexing streak over the Red Sox was ended and that bitter pill that was swallowed by the fans was erased in that 2-1 extra inning win where the Red Sox won at home. Left-handed second baseman Billy Goodman played with the Boston Red Sox for 10 seasons from 1947 through 1957. Then he ended up playing a year with the Baltimore Orioles in 57 and then went to the Chicago White Sox for about four or five years and finally ended his uh, final season with the Colt 45s of Houston in 1962. He ended up being a two-time All-Star, won a batting title in one year, had over 1,690 hits, 19 home runs for his career, and his career batting average was at a solid 300. That's the story of our May 8th, and that's the story of our hero, Billy Goodman, for this May 8th. Now before we touch on some more great history of sport and baseball and football and basketball and hockey uh, for this May 8th, let's make sure that you're aware of how to get our daily newsletter to find stories like this and uh, more great sports history for the day. Uh, very easy. You can go to the show notes of this very podcast or the top of jerseydispatch.com or pigskindispatch.com. Totally free. Cancel at any time and get an email each and every morning about 6.30 a.m. Eastern with all the news of the day of sports history. Now let's go into that great day of May 8th in history. We have some Hall of Fame birthdays. How about May 8th in 1858, Sylvan Lake, New York, Baseball Hall of Fame first baseman Dan Bruthers, also known as Big Dan, who was a pretty big dude by 19th century standards. But he ended up uh, being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, many years ago, and uh, he uh, was remembered for many things and we've got a great bio for him on this May 8th 
and you can find that on jerseydispatch.com. Also, another Hall of Famer from the hockey world, Herb Gardiner, uh, May 8th, 1891. He was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Hall of Hockey Hall of Fame defenseman. Uh, he played for the Calgary Tigers of the Western Canadian League and also the Montreal Canadiens and the Chicago Blackhawks of the NHL. Turkey Stearns of Major League Baseball was born May 8th, 1901 in Nashville, Tennessee. Baseball Hall of Fame center fielder. Uh, he's considered by some as one of the greatest all-around players in the history of baseball. Now Stearns got his nickname thanks to his unusual running style from an early age, and he ended up playing in the Negro Leagues early in his career. In 1920, he started with the Nashville Giants, and then for the Detroit Stars uh, beginning in 1923. And in 1931, the Stars failed to pay Stearns his salary because of the Great Depression. So he moved from team to team for the remainder of his career, retiring in 1942 as a member of the Kansas City Monarchs. He batted over 403 times and led the Negro Leagues in home runs seven different times in his career. He's credited with 186 home runs and uh, all-time Negro League record of uh, 186 uh, for his career and seven more than the second-place Mule Suttles. Quite a ball player he was. Also, Ed Roush was born May 8, 1893 in Oakland City, Indiana. He was a Baseball Hall of Fame center fielder himself. Now, Ed played in Major League Baseball from 1913 to 1931 most prominently as a member of the Cincinnati Reds, where he was a two-time National League battling, batting champion and led his team to the 1919 World Series Championship. Also played for the New York Giants, Chicago White Sox, and the Newark Peppers and the Indianapolis Hoosiers of the Federal League. John Mariucci, great uh, hockey Hall of Fame defenseman, was born May 8, 1916. Mariucci started off his career as a winner, leading a squad for undefeated AAU National Championship squad in 1940 and he played uh, at the University of Minnesota for his college days and he turned pro and uh, was mainly with the Chicago Blackhawks uh, though he went into coaching and coached not only Blackhawks but the Minnesota North Stars as well went into the Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder in 1985. Now on Jersey Dispatch we have some great items that we'd love to share. Uh, May 8th in 1878, Paul Hines made his very first recorded triple play in professional baseball as the member of the Providence Rhode Islanders. In the eighth inning against the Boston Redcaps that day, Jack Burdock of Boston hit a fly ball towards center field that the shortstop Tom Carey was unable to reach. Center fielder Hines caught the fly ball on a full gallop towards the left field line, stepped on third base, getting out Jack Manning, who had been on third. It gets a little bit unclear from this point on, though, as a widely accepted story that Hines then threw to second to put out Ezra Sutton for the third out. However, Mr. Hines, as well as the retelling in the Providence Journal the following day, stated that both base runners had been heading home, indicating that Sutton had rounded the bag as well. And Paul Hines, this historic figure, as he won the Triple Crown in the first time in Major League history. Uh, 1929 in this date, Carl Hubble, the New York Giants ace that wore number 10, tossed a no-hit shutout against the visiting Pittsburgh Pirates for an 11-0 victory at the Polo Grounds in New York City. And May 8, 1935, Cincinnati Red Star Ernie Lombardi, number 17, unbelievably doubled in the 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th innings to help outscore the Philadelphia Phillies by the score of 15-4. to 
Uh, some more for some more great tremendous baseball events. We have a couple great sites to check out. Thisdayinbaseball.com. Uh, we have a link on Jersey Dispatch for this May 8th and uh, May 8th in 1980s baseball. 1980sbaseball.com offers a lot of great uh, a subject matter from our friend Jay Daniel on uh, 80sbaseball.com. Great link. You can go to there too. Now let's go to the hockey realm. And one of our favorite stops is the VintageHockeyJerseys.com website. May 8, 1975, they tell us that the Buffalo Sabres defeated the Montreal Canadiens by the score of 4-3 in Game 6 of their Eastern Conference Playoff Semifinals at the fabled Montreal Forum. With this victory, the Sabres eliminated the Canadiens and advanced the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time ever in franchise history. The HockeyWriters.com website. They inform us that on May 8, 1970, the Boston Bruins defenseman number four, Bobby Orr, won the Hart Trophy for being voted as the league's most valuable player that season. And the NHL.com website. Well, they tell us in 1982 on the 8th of May that the New York Islanders number 22, Mike Bossy, scored at the 1958 mark of overtime to give the New York Islanders a 6-5 victory over the Vancouver Canucks at the Nassau Coliseum in Game 1 of the final of the Lord Stanley's Cup tournament. Bossy ties a game 5-5 at 15-14 in the third period with his second goal of the game, and then completes a hat-trick when he intercepts a pass by Canucks defenseman Harold Snaps and puts a quick shot past goalie Richard Brodar. Now, some tremendous there. Make sure you check out those websites. We go to the basketball hardcourts, and NBA.com gives us this nugget for the day. On May 8th, 1999, in a jazz-stunning 117-87 victory over the Kings in an NBA playoff game, Utah's number 32, Carl Malone, the mailman, who totaled 3,712 career points, passed Magic Johnson, who had 3,701 for the sixth position all-time in playoff scoring at that period in time. Now we jump over to pigskindispatch.com for some great football history. We find that in 1894, the rules convention at the New York City Athletic Club for College Football instituted a rudimentary rule for fair catch interference on a kick play. A portion of this rule required that a person fielding and signaling for the fair catch to mark the spot of the fair catch by marking it with the back of his heel and denting the turf after waving one hand over the head and catching the untouched kick or punt. That's pretty difficult to do even to catch it and wave your arm, let alone digging your heel into the ground, so good thing they got rid of that rule. Uh, on May 8, 1910, Walter Eckersley writes the greatest football player of all time article. That article starts off by giving creed and credential to Walter Eckersall, and he was selected three consecutive years by Walter Camp to be the, the equivalent of the first team All-American, even made Camp's all-time All-American team. So, a uh, U.S. patent uh, was granted for blending a graphic to create a yellow line on television for the line to gain. The yellow first down line that we see on our televisions. Uh, that happened in 2001 on May 8th, and this is the day that that patent was filed. And the last piece of Yankee Stadium falls into Bronx, New York in 2010, marking the end of a two-year demolition process, almost 88 years to the day from the start of its construction on May 5th, 1922. We had a, a draft where in 2014, South Carolina's outside linebacker Jadavian Clowney was the first picked by the Houston Texans in the 24 NFL 
2014 NFL Draft. Pretty amazing draft. Uh, the, we had the Glenn Robinson, a tackle from Auburn, went to the St. Louis Rams. Uh, Jacksonville selected Blake Bortles, a quarterback from Central Florida. Buffalo selected wide receiver Sammy Watkins from Clemson. And Khalil Mack, a linebacker from the University of Buffalo, was selected by the Oakland Raiders to round out your top five. Some Hall of Fame birthdays. 1930 on May 8th, Doug Atkins was born in Humboldt, Tennessee. He was a Tennessee tackle, Tennessee Volunteers, uh, 1950-1952, and uh, he was selected to go into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1985 and became a member of the Cleveland Browns in the 1953 NFL Draft, playing defensive end for them, and then went uh, went to the Chicago Bears uh, soon after that and was a monster of the midway, and ended up getting uh, inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1982. Uh, May 8, 1957, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Bill Cower, North Carolina State defender who played a bit in the pros, was born, played for the Cleveland Browns, uh, but he's probably most well-known for being the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, from 1992 all the way to 2005. He ended up going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the uh, 2020 selection class. And May 8, 1959, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Ronnie Lott, uh, Southern Cows coveted defensive back for the seasons of 1977 and 1980 was born. And uh, he ended up uh, g- going into the uh, playing for the 1978 USC National Championship team under coach John Robinson. Uh, ended up going into College Football Hall of Fame 2002. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame came a calling and put him in 2000 into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So these are just some great items that happened on May 8th. We are sure happy you were able to join us for this sports history. As we said earlier, we'd love to hear your comments and feedback. Pigskindispatch at gmail.com. Until next time, everybody, have a great sports history day. This penalty kill is almost over. I got to get back out on the ice. But thanks again for joining us for another great edition of Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel. Get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? 
I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast. <laughs>